hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am your host, Timothy Guthrie, and I'm joined this week by Adam Dyson, who is super alert because he's only been up for, what, 20 minutes? How you doing, man? Yeah, 20 minutes, about that. My alarm got a snooze press until I realized that I had to get up. Well, happy Sunday morning to you, sir, ahead in the future from us. And then also Patrick McIntosh. How are you doing today, man? Doing well, doing well. I'm not sure if I need to build an ark, a boat, or a submarine. It's been raining nonstop here, so that's fun. Yep, I've been that way here over the last couple of days as well. Sooner or later, it'll look like Camino out here. Well, let's get into some updates uh, before we get into this incredible book that we've been reading. Adam, what we got going on in the Discord universe? Uh, well, recently, we just hit 500 members on the server. Which what? Is, yeah, Emma spoke in our Slack how in the first week or two, there were only 20 and now we have 500. So the Utini community is growing. In the background, I was speaking with Corey and the Senate agreed that we can do a merch giveaway to celebrate 500 members. So look out for that in the survey. Hey, hey. So something will drop in the Utini competition category, and everyone, all they simply have to do is click on an icon, and they'll be in the, the draw for some free Utini merch. So that will be coming out in the next day or two. That is super, super awesome. And we'll this will come out for our patrons on Tuesday too, so hopefully you'll get the jump on that as well. And then, Patrick, what you got going on in your world? Well, coming up this week and next week, I will be joining Jared on Legends Look Back. Uh-huh. We'll be discussing Star Wars Old Republic Revan. Man, that's going to be a lot of fun. Man, that's one of my favorite Old Republic books. Um, granted, there's a handful, but that's still one of my favorite stories, especially with how it ties into KOTOR 1 and 2. So I'm really excited. Can't wait. Man. That's awesome, because I have not read that book, and I have also not fully played KOTOR 1 and 2. So my mind is blown right now. I'm super excited for this. Ooh, I'm telling Corey. He's going to fire you. You're in Do trouble. it. <laughs> Do it. He needs me. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm probably, I'm probably not that important. <laughs> no, um, no, and no, don't, lie, don't lie to the people. You are. You very much are. Oh, man. And then... In the Patreon realm of things, we do have some exciting announcements coming up. We're going to be re-releasing the tier structure on September 1st. Um, You'll hopefully be getting some communication from me here over the next several days, uh, maybe a couple of emails as well to reveal what some of that looks like. Um, Some of our tiers are going to be receiving some discount to our merch store, so definitely keep an eye on that. Um, And that's pretty much all that I can say at this point, because everything is still kind of hush-hushed. But, you know, the, the machine is always running. The gas pedal is to the floor with Utini. So we've got so much new content coming out, so many exciting new things happening um, on our live shows. And we've got some interviews that are getting ready to be released. So it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan for sure. And it's an incredible time to be reading the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Boys, this section of chapters was different from the opening set, but I really enjoyed it. Some pretty dense 
conversation. We get some deep character dives. And I also want to talk a little bit briefly, we'll get there here in a little bit, but about the dark in quotes. I kind of skipped over that last week, but I think it'd be pretty cool to talk about that. So instead of doing a seven minute long summary like we did last week, I'm going to give you the 30 second version because we're going to be talking about this pretty in depth the rest of the way through. So And this is a spoiler disclaimer, just as a heads up, as a reminder, we're getting into some spoiler heavy territory. So if you haven't read the book and you plan to do so, continue at your own risk. In this section, we see Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Palpatine survive an encounter with Grievous, the coward that he is, and crash land a ship. Part two opens up with another piece on the dark that we're going to talk about. Uh, We get the Force abilities of Mace Windu. They are revealed and we see him speak about the darkness that surrounds us. We get Padme's confirmation that she is pregnant and she's a bit conflicted about how to go about the whole thing. Anakin's having some nightmares and is absolutely spiraling out of control. Yoda, the little green dude that he is, is agitated. And Palpatine wants to have a drink with a Sith Lord. And to top it all off, we get the opening setup to the rebellion being born. So a lot of stuff is happening. A lot is going on. Let's pick up right where we left off. We see Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Palpatine caught in a ray shield. We get Obi-Wan just absolutely clear and deep in the Force. He is all things. Got to try to find a way to get out of this. He says that he feels like the, the clarity is all of a sudden there. The darkness that had been surrounding the Order and everything has kind of dissipated a bit. Uh, Patrick, what do, you, what do you think about Kenobi here? You know, surrounded by battle droids probably on the verge of freaking out i don't know what do you think about him most people would be on the verge of freaking out but our man obi-wan kenobi never as he described the force flowed through him like a river of sparkling calm and that just totally fits with who he is we see through episodes one two three the clone wars he's this always calm under pressure and this explains why he's got this calm gentlemanly personality and you can see where it comes from he's very in tune with the light side and just letting it flow and relax him. Yeah. I thought it was really neat to see how he kind of connects with literally everything around him, right? He's the dense in R2D2. He's the, the scraped him of Palpatine's cloak. Like he is Grievous's mask in the midst of all this to be so calm and at ease to be literally one with the force I thought that was a really cool depiction that we haven't gotten before of what it's like to be in that flow state, I guess. Right. And I think you nailed it with the gentlemanly demeanor. I mean, he just runs on cool the whole way through. I think that's why Charles likes him so much. Right. He also it's a you think about it. It's something that I feel like he gets from Qui-Gon, that very gentlemanly demeanor. He's not he's not irate. He's not over the top, but he's always seems like he's got a level head. He lets the Force do the talking for him, and mm-hmm. he let goes with the Force. He feels it and follows it. Yeah, the the ending, you know, part of that, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Yoda, too, and kind of this way of just being a Jedi, right? Towards the end of this section, Kenobi is, the reason he's at, at peace, the reason he's so calm is because he's so ready. He's convinced that whatever is going to happen is going to happen, right? He can stand where he is and the knowledge that if he lives, it's the will of the force. And if he dies, it's the will of the force. Anakin, on the other hand, is completely different. Uh, But before we talk about that, 
let's talk about Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship here, right? Because they seem to be on the same page for the most part. Um, what do you what'd you glean from that? It honestly, it made me think to the sequel trilogy a bit about almost a diet in the Force, but less at this time when the um the prequels came out and the movie um the movie came out and the novelization came out. I don't think that was a a full on term yet, but honestly, I feel like this is where something something of that nature was created, as um it was put. They were two halves to one to one whole that needed one another that fed off one another and even if we look back to last week and their battle with count dooku how even when they were fooling and toying with dooku they were they were doing it in synchronization switching up their styles and everything they were feeding off each other's uh, movements off each other's emotions a bit and it's almost like a storm like anakin He's the actual the thunder and the lightning, and Obi Wan's he's the movement, he's the direction, and he's the calm, the eye of the storm. Yeah, there's a really cool, you know, we talked when we were reading Ahsoka about how Ahsoka was kind of the middle ground between the two, but with that concept of kind of being the dyad and the force, you get Obi Wan and Anakin. While maybe not necessarily that, they definitely complement each other so well. You know, where Anakin is brash and that tornado, you know, Obi-Wan is that calm peace over a river kind of a thing, right? And where Obi-Wan is more reserved, Anakin brings out a little bit of that humor, a little bit of that, you know, playfulness. He's not too serious, but Obi-Wan is also able to kind of rein Anakin back a little bit, you know, as he's pushing to the brink of going over the edge and unleashing that dragon that Obi-Wan is really just like, hey, he's that calm, you know, hand on the shoulder, let's simmer down a bit. Definitely the the fire and water of that. And I think I think that's really cool to bring that up. Adam, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I see very much a yin and yang idea or ideal here where Anakin is chaos and Obi-Wan is calm. It's really that kind of simple for me, I guess. I look back to the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace and with Obi-Wan being told to be mindful of the living force, I think this is just a personification of him listening and following Qui-Gon's teachings where like you said, that being aware of the dents of R2, that is living, being mindful of the living force, like all around him. And Obi-Wan really took that and ran with that ideal, I think. So it's Obi-Wan's calm, truly, that, that gets them out of the mess, right? Surrounded by battle droids, they're able to easily, you know, dishand, disarm everyone. They get their lightsabers back. They go to fight Grievous, and Grievous just absolutely reveals how much of a coward he is. Patrick, talk about what you what you thought about about Grievous in this section. Honestly, I just thought nothing more of Grievous than a artificial schoolyard bully. That's all he is. Mm. Um, if we we've seen him in Episode Three and the Clone Wars, he never fights anybody who's anywhere anywhere near on terms of him in terms of fighting ability. He'll always, you know, cut bait and run. When he mm-hmm. found out um, that Obi Wan and Anakin were way more superior than he was on the battlefield. Now, his first idea was to just, no, escape pod. No, I'm not dealing with this. But he bosses his inferiors around just like a bully. Like he's killing his own staff because they're trying to actually tell him something that's kind of right and important. But nope, he doesn't want to hear it. He's, I don't know, he's kind of like a, somebody we have in office now. 
Well, and the the interesting thing too within all of that is I know it happens in a couple chapters and we may get to it a little bit more in depth. There's not really much else that happens with Grievous in this section, but I I do want to jump ahead a bit because it's interesting that Palpatine doesn't let him know that he's Sidious, right? Like, because maybe he's a little bit more of that inferior villain, just the muscle uh, that is needed to to just take out armies, that he's not a trusted general. Adam, do you, do you resonate with that? Yeah, definitely. And I always thought just to the fact that when the war came to the came to an end, it would be Grievous's head that it would go on. Uh, so <clears throat> perhaps Palpatine was keeping his Sidious persona separate from Grievous, noting that eventually someone has to take the fall on the Separatist side. And as we've read, it does show that they were going to put that at the aliens' feet, really, and humanity was going to come out strong. So definitely, right. that's what I think. Well, that's why I think that uh, Palpatine was perhaps keeping Sidious and himself separate in Grievous's case. Yeah, I think that's a great point. A good good through line there from that first section. So Grievous escapes. He heads to Utapal to get all of the setup for what's going to happen next because there, it is part of a greater plan, right? The revelation of the Sith, it's going to come out much later. So there's there's that setup. He gets to deal with the rest of the uh, separatist hierarchy, those in command. And we get Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Palpatine, but mostly Anakin, trying to crash land a third of this capital ship. The book describes him as a musician, basically, with a what will happen in the next 10 seconds intuition, which for those of you who have read the new canon Thrawn trilogy, that has a a name. I don't want to spoil too much of that book here, but I thought that was really interesting. And he is the complete counter to Obi-Wan, right? Where Obi-Wan is the peaceful river, the serene waterfall. Um, Anakin has absolutely no interest in serene acceptance into what the force is going to bring. He just seizes it with a stark refusal to fail. Um, He gets those little 10 second glimpses into how to control the ship, uh, this alien ship that he's never dealt with. Patrick, talk, talk to us about Anakin a bit. And then obviously Adam will, will throw it to you since, since you know everything about this dude. (laughs) Anakin, the goat behind the starfighter Skywalker. This man will not lose when he's on the sticks. Adam, you know, watching Anakin behind the Starfighter, or like as they brought it out in this novelization, it's a miracle beyond any feats of the Force that he landed this. His power showed that why he's the chosen one. Yes. He really did. And um, it almost made me think of, uh, I don't know if any of y'all are, any of us are really old enough, but back in the day watching Michael Jordan, yeah. Um, how when even watching clips of him, you just know, oh, my God, this is the greatest man I've ever seen touch a basketball ever. That's how they viewed Anakin. Yeah. That's how they with the hollow net covers that he got. That's how they viewed him. The stuff that the feats that he was able to achieve in the Starfighter, bringing down the ha- a third of a capital ship on fire that's bursting in flames in atmosphere and skids it on a nice little little landing strip. He's nothing but a hero to them. Yeah, we also get in, in that section, and then I'm going to throw it to you, Adam. We we get Captain Nita, right, that's working with him, and he's just like, how in the world? There is no way this is going to happen, you know, kind of praying to the Force. Patrick, I know that you kind of wrote a little bit about that. What, what struck you about that? 
I found it very interesting that even regular non-Force-sensitive beings viewed the Force as God, mm-hmm. as something that they pray to, as something that they um, worship in their own sense. Made me reference in my mind like Chiritin Way from Rogue One. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. necessarily Force-sensitive, but he still worshiped and believed. Yeah, and even his his buddy, right, after Trit dies, you know, he's like, I, I haven't really been a fan of this whole thing. I don't really know how, how to believe in it, but this is what my best friend believed in. And in this moment, this is what I need to, to help the, the mission go well, right? Kind of in those darkest moments, you know, we, we have to give hope to something. And the Force is Star Wars kind of revelation of what that looks like. Adam, talk to us about Anakin here. The idea of seizing the Force really struck me. You got, there's Obi-Wan, he's just letting it happen. He just lets it throw, just flow through him. And here's Anakin just literally manhandling the Force to get what he wants. I can imagine in the back, in the third seat is Sidious trying not to hide a smile as he probably feels what Anakin is really doing in this situation. Uh, I know it was done, he doesn't really say it, but, you know, is he, is he encroaching a little bit on the dark side there where he's forcing the force pun intended to do what he wants it to do not what the living force or the cosmic force deems as appropriate i do have to wonder do you think that i mean he's pulled off many feats like this before but do you think after killing dooku in that last section do you think you know he kind of walks with this newer confidence do you think that it gives him a little bit more of a of an emphasis on controlling it do you think that that kind of helps yeah definitely i think it was kind of like a barrier falling down where he now allows himself to perhaps feel less guilty about it and perhaps not think about it as much becoming more slightly more of a tool than it used to be right well and that's that's interesting too when you bring up palpatine in this particular section kind of kind of watching it happen and kind of feeling probably what's going on it it's weird that palpatine kind of throwing it back let them escape grievous right like and when they're surrounded by the battle droids and obi-wan kind of feels that darkness go away palpatine was the one putting it there so he kind of withdrew into himself right so it kind of seems like he's definitely pulling a lot of these strings and you know maybe maybe casually feeding anakin a little bit to give him some of this but the concept of the raw power that Anakin can feel that push into the dark side to take control of the situation is just absolutely devastating and really cool to see him do this. He's always been pretty intuitive, though. Adam, go ahead. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of the Mortis arc as well, where Anakin directly controls the brother and the sister. And that just shows mm. that he has that ability to... The Force will do what Anakin wants. It's not the other way around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Scott, in the chat, uh, if we ever get a from a certain point of view for Revenge of the Sith, I hope we get a Palpatine story. I am right there with you. Um, I was actually thinking about how upsetting it is that, you know, they're doing the face pop stories for the 40 years. I'm like, I can't wait another, <laughs> you know, 20 years to get these books. It'd be, it'd be really, I just can't. It'd be a really simple story. Palpatine sits in the third chair lol the end (laughs) (laughs) basically Uh, right a low grin in a good good (laughs) oh man so the first we're about to walk into to part two of the book um part one was called victory and this next 
part that we're getting into is called seduction. So one of the, the things that opens up right before the chapters in each new part is we get these little brief glimpses of the dark. Um, we didn't talk about it last week at all, but I wanted to go ahead and go back and read, if it's okay with you, those pages um, on the dark from the first part and then the dark from this part. Is that all right with you guys? Definitely. Sweet. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to do it. So this is technically how the book opens up first, um, right after that really cool intro paragraph that we read last week. So this is describing the dark. The dark is generous. Its first gift is concealment. Our true faces lie in the dark beneath our skins. Our true hearts remain shadowed deeper still. But the greatest concealment lies not in protecting our secret truths, but in hiding from us the truths of others. The dark protects us from what we dare not know. Its second gift is comforting illusion, the ease of gentle dreams and night's embrace, the beauty that imagination brings to what would repel in day's harsh light. But the greatest of its comforts is the illusion that the dark is temporary, that every night brings a new day because it is, it is day that is temporary. Day is the illusion. Its third gift is the light itself. As days are defined by the nights that divide them, as stars are defined by the infinite black through which they wheel, the dark embraces the light and brings it forth from the center of its own self. With each victory of the light, it is the dark that wins. What do y'all think about that? Obviously, darkness and the dark side is going to run through this whole book, but what are, what are your initial thoughts hearing that? Uh, Patrick, let's go with you first. Um, it made me think that darkness is eternal and that when it comes to the light shining through, that the light needs a source. And it feels like the Jedi lost the light and the Jedi lost their ability to be that source in that darkness. That whatever light they had shining between the influence of Palpatine and him radiating and sucking out the light and just the Jedi's arrogance and their change in their ways. Sorry, I may be jumping ahead on this a bit, but okay. just like the change in their ways throughout the war kind of dimmed their light a bit. Well, not a bit, a lot, but and that darkness was eternal waiting for them to flicker out. Yeah. And I definitely get the sense, you know, this sets up that whatever victory the Jedi think they've won and they really haven't, it's all been a ploy, right? So then the second part that leads into the rest of, of this part two is the dark is generous and it is patient. It is the dark that seeds cruelty into justice, that drips contempt into compassion, that poisons love with grains of doubt. The dark can be patient because the slightest drop of rain will cause those seeds to sprout. The rain will come and the seeds will sprout. For the dark is the soil in which they grow, and it is the clouds above them, and it waits behind the star that gives them light. The dark's patience is infinite. Eventually, even stars burn out. So very much echoing what we just talked about. Patrick, you mentioned, you know, dark is basically this eternal thing, right? And it's definitely going to play into how Anakin spirals out of control going forth in, in these next couple of chapters, how 
you know, that love and passion that he can have for even saving the good things, for bringing justice. There's cruelty that can be added to it because there's a little bit of darkness in all of us. You know, even the the good things we try to achieve, the ways we may try to clean up the streets or, you know, do whatever, there's always a little bit of extra, that little darkness that could come out if we just give it that that opportunity to. And that's a scary thing. I and mean, we're going to see that unveil here in the next little bit. What's the saying? Um, you uh, die here or live long enough to become a villain? Yes, the dark night. Yes, yes. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And that is definitely, I think that's true of Anakin's story, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the way that a lot of people are going to view his ending going forward. The death of Anakin. You know, um, I think it was Meg wrote a great piece here in the last couple of weeks about the duality of Anakin and Darth Vader. Are they the same person? Have they always been two separate people? But for the greater galaxy, the death of Anakin um, is the death of a hero. And that's the way that Anakin wants to go out. If you're not reading the new Darth Vader comic right now, you definitely should be because that gets teased out quite a bit. You know, the people that are, you know, fighting for Padme and, and her honor, you know, they're doing it for Padme and for Anakin, even though they're, they're the same person. Um, that's pretty intense stuff. So chapter eight, we go into fault lines as the name of this chapter. We get a lot of really cool stuff on Mace Windu. He remembers Jango Fett um, when thinking about the clones. You know, he's waiting on the platform as the ship crash lands and he's, you know, signaling to the clones to kind of hold up. And he's like, they're not faceless. I know the face that, you know, prevented me from capturing Count Dooku, you know, months ago. So that was an interesting thing. He can sense this new inner power of Anakin, the way that he kind of swaggers and is walking a little bit taller. We get the presence of shatter points, right? We get Mace's power kind of in the force. We get that revealed. He sees Anakin as this fulcrum of a lever uh, between Obi-Wan and Palpatine when the three of them are all standing there. They're all very tied together, right? Every choice that they make impacts the other. And Anakin is definitely going to get caught between the two of them. What, what do you think about Mace's powers here? Uh, this is the first time that I had ever seen it. I know there's obviously a, a Clone Wars book called Shatterpoint that Stover also wrote. Adam, you know, what are your thoughts on, on Mace and this really cool ability that he has um, and how it plays out and maybe how it might make him a little bit of a tool bag? <laughs> I, I 100% agree that he is a tool. Yeah. His tool in the tool bag. But I do like his Shadowpoint ability, and I really like how it's described here in the book, Upon, especially when Mace is trying to discern fault lines between Palpatine and Anakin. It was mm -hmm. really quite powerful, and just understanding that not only can he see fault lines between two individuals quite close to him, but by the sounds of it, he can feel fault lines throughout the whole of the Living Force, by the sounds of it which just to me is just that is astounding. That's a huge power to have. And I can understand that with the dark encroaching upon the light, that that must really affect how probably Mace Windu thinks and feels. Yeah, that's a really great point. The, and I guess we get a little bit of a tease that he can kind of sometimes see whether these shatter points and these fault lines could lead to a positive outcome or a negative one. You know, he talks about how the reason he ultimately supported 
Anakin being named the chosen one is because he looked at it and kind of decided, yeah, that looks like where that's going to go. But in the end, it's kind of a guessing game with him, right? Yeah, so there would have been a time where you know, Mace was probably less of a tool bag because the dark side and the dark itself was not really encroaching on the light or not really encroaching on the light as much. So Mace might just be a product of what he's seeing. And if he keeps seeing these negative outcomes, naturally you're going to lose trust in the world around you and the people around you. And perhaps that's what, you know, is affecting how Mace Windu thinks and feels, but he's still a tool bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. This is a family for friendly sure. podcast. So I'm not going to say anything other than tool bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, right after we, we get kind of Mace's interaction with everything, he has a, a conversation with Obi-Wan, but right before that, I just have to throw this in. Obi-Wan knows that Anakin is looking for somebody out on the platform. And the fact that he knows who it is, we all know it's Padme that he's looking for. Can we talk about how many people, um, know that Anakin and Padme are a thing here because they're not very great at keeping a secret, right? No. Patrick, who who you got on your list of who knows that they are dating or slash married? All right, I have six people. Okay. Obi Wan. Yep. Ahsoka knows. Um. Well, we know Captain Rex knows. Actually, you might as well just add the rest of like the higher ranking five hundred first <laughs> in there too. Um. And I think actually Mace and Yoda know. Actually, you know what? The whole council knows. <laughs> I'm just gonna go. The whole council knows. My own, my theory was they knew the whole time. They just knew that he was so powerful and so talented that they could not get rid of him or kick him out for it because they had no idea who the Sith Lord was and that he would get his hands on Anakin. And they knew they could not stop Sith Anakin. Adam, who's on your list? I wasn't thinking about the council, but that does make complete sense, Pat. Um, Ahsoka. Definitely from the Clone Wars and some uh, Forces of Destiny that we've seen. Rex, naturally, from the last season of the Clone Wars. Obi-Wan, for sure. Come on. Yeah. Um, and I was also thinking Qui-Gon knows. He's just watching mm-hmm. from the Cosmic Forces. <laughs> Anakin, my boy. <laughs> he's, he's cheating. Yeah. But the, the, the council makes complete sense. I wasn't even thinking about that because that, you're right. You know, Padme's scared that they're going to kick him out but Anakin doesn't really care about that he's not worried about that he kind of knows that they're not going to do that and you're right Sith Sith Anakin is a scary thought let alone a Darth Vader and Patrick go for it also I want to add to that list half the people in the like the Naboo Council the security force and her yeah. handmaidens know and, and yeah the that. handmaidens the handmaidens for sure <laughs> Yeah, and I, I would think would know on the chat where she says the droids know and that they do. Well, and he alludes to that in the last section that we read as well, when he's like, "Are you know, I one, I don't want R two to die, but also, you know, there's a lot of data on his chips yeah. that he was there for the wedding and he's recorded all of it." And, and throwing back, organizing the booth. Yep, yep, yep. just you go down yep. that and corridor. <laughs> and throwing back to from a certain point of view as well, um, even though this is way after the fact from the first book, 
when the Jawa gets a hold of R2 on the Sandcrawler, mm. he plays back some hollow footage in R2 and he sees a wedding take place. I'm like, we got to gotta do some of that Jawa. We got to <laughs> shut up the Jawa <laughs> years after the fact. But, you know, yeah. I thought I thought that was interesting. I just wanted to pause and talk about that because that list is definitely long. Um, <laughs> it's longer than I think. <laughs> yes. I feel like it's all. Oh, also Palpatine knows. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred thousand percent there. Page one fifty four. We get this quote from you know Mason Obi Wan talking, and it's the greatest danger from the darkness outside came when Jedi fed it with the darkness within. And there's this conversation about how the dark side is all around them and it's all encompassing. But I want to talk about this thought of feeding the darkness with your own doubt. Um, and we're going to talk about Anakin and and you know, how they, they ought to fear him. I guess we can talk about it now because we're kind of heading into chapter nine. You know, Anakin's absolutely spiraling. He talks about how Coruscant itself as a city feels, or it looks the way that he feels, you know, damaged and broken. But he can feel the fear of the Jedi, you know, when they look at him, uh, the, the fact that he's the chosen one, maybe. But I wonder how much of that is his own anxiety, right? Playing into that, making it worse. Adam, could you see that being the case here? Yeah, definitely. What is the the ongoing meme that Star Wars wouldn't have happened if Anakin simply got a little bit of therapy? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, so I can definitely see the anxiety just eating away at him. And I also read that quote, the greatest danger from the darkness outside. You know, we you lean on Anakin a lot there, and rightfully so, but also there was a passage in this set of chapters where I think it was Obi-Wan talking about how he heard from the past Jedi councils that they all just act, they all just came to a decision through the force. There was no real argument. There was no real speaking. Um, yeah. But now argument is just what is considered normal. They're not, they're not allowing themselves to flow through the living force. They argue they, and they have to vote on it. They've gone from everyone comes to a consensus through the force to arguing and voting. So Definitely, mm-hmm. so the Jedi fed it from the darkness within. Well, they fed it themselves. Like you can't, they can't just sit there and blame the chosen one. It was happening well before he turned up, by the sound of it. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a long history of as much as they want to to think that they're putting out a lot of light into the galaxy. Right. That they're really convoluted themselves. Yeah. They've definitely made made a mess of things on their own volition. And we have to talk about, speaking of messes, we have to talk about Anakin and Padme's relationship here because she is most definitely pregnant. <laughs> um, and outside of that, I'm, Padme's an incredible character who is definitely getting a very strong resurgence in the new canon media, right? We've gotten Queen Shadow and Queen's Peril with her heavily featured. She was a very strong part of the Clone Wars. And... Even in the comics, her legacy, you know, has left a mark on everyone that she's interacted with. You know, the rebellion wouldn't have happened without her. We wouldn't have gotten Star Wars at all, really, without her no. um, because of Luke and Leia and everything. But she goes from being the youngest queen in Naboo history to a guerrilla fighter who is just absolutely, you know, kicking butt and taking names throughout the Clone Wars She's a senator and a very powerful and very articulate one at that. And she's Anakin's secret wife. And, you know, the book mentions that it's not just that she's a wife is like some 
lowly term, you know, she feels alive when she is with Anakin. Uh, what is it about about their relationship, I guess, that that makes Padme so great? Like, because I think she's also amplified. She's strong on her own, but I feel like Anakin definitely takes her to another level. Patrick, do you have any thoughts on on why that may be? Yeah, I always believed that Padme was strength personified. That mm-hmm. she was she was this representation of all the powerful women that we have in our lives and we see, and that when she is fueled by this pretty much this gaslit torch of a personality in Anakin who he loves hard. He is loyal to the nth degree. He would he'd literally kill for her. Mm-hmm. Trust us, we know. Yeah, he yeah he'd literally kill for her. But in that coming together, she feeds off of how much that she knows he is dedicated to her. That how much he comes back home wanting to see her. Adam, do you have anything you want to add there? Yeah, it is a very very powerful relationship and sometimes i do kind of feel for padme because you're right she's just such a strong person yeah literally strength personified yet there's still you know there's anakin there in the in the background who kind of lifts her up even more but in his own way he is possess possessive and all the negatives of his relationship connotations which we we've seen throughout all of the prequels like i that's why i love Padme's resurgence in the canon so much because even in Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril we're seeing Padme we're not really seeing a lot of Anakin and that's and I've really loved to explore her character and her strengths without him kind of just being in the shadows being the reason why she's so strong because that's not the case yeah right and you know there's a a mention of you know a little bit ahead when Anakin's having the nightmares right he he sees her dying in childbirth she talks about how she loves that he's this wild creature and it's basically a miracle that you know that he can still come to her and be calm um you know brea says you know i think she's attracted to his chaos because she's always been so controlled herself right growing up in politics that's definitely going to throw a wrench into things um that's something that she's always been fed to do you know run mercy missions and be it of service to people and he's never really had much stability in his own life right i mean his he never had a father you know his he was in slavery up until you know qui-gon took him and that's kind of another form of slavery in a right i mean he doesn't have the ability to do the things that he wants to do and that's something that he struggles with patrick uh, what you got and i was thinking back on how their relationship dynamic is a lot of the the negatives we can see with Anakin in this is mostly his traumas that were never, like you said, they were never fixed. Mm-hmm. When he gets to the Order, they don't, especially around this time, they don't treat him as one, an adult. And they don't treat him as a real colleague or a friend. They don't treat him right. as... They don't treat him any different than the Sith would in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Anakin makes mention too that, you know, he doesn't even want to be a part of the order. You know, he doesn't care who knows. We get a little bit of that argument in the Anakin and Obi-Wan comic uh, that came out several years ago. 
you know, he's much younger. He's, he's out with Obi-Wan trying to help save this planet that didn't necessarily even ask for help, you know, but he, he's tried to leave the order multiple times. I'm kind of surprised he didn't leave when Ahsoka left because I thought that would be a good time for him to go. Yep. Um, Adam, do you have anything you want to add there? Another comic plug, but you're right. You need Anakin and Obi-Wan's a great little five issue story arc where he was basically off. He was gone. He had, I think yeah. the whole part of the whole point of that comic arc was one last mission with Obi-Wan and then he was mm-hmm. going to bug out. But I was thinking back, he's clearly strong, or strong female individuals in his life seem to have more of an effect on Anakin than say the males. You've got his mum, who I can only imagine being a single mum is just difficult to begin with, but being a single mum as a slave would just be just horrible um so his mother was a strong person his wife is a strong person it kind of makes me think that if what would anakin have been like if he had a female master like a depa or an an ayla because clearly he interesting he, he learns different from um strong female individuals around him so he he's got his mother and his wife would it would he have act, would he have been a little different would he have taken the learning a little different if he had a strong compassionate female master over someone like obi-wan yep we all know obi-wan is a great jedi but even in that in that comic arc and and uh i think some of the age of republic comics as well it really points to the fact that obi-wan really wasn't ready was not ready for a a padawan at the time so just it just made me think of what anakin would be like in a in a different world in a different reality well and we get the reverse of that i guess with ahsoka as his padawan right so we 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 see how how he works closely with a female compatriot um you know in arms together so that's a that's a fantastic point that i've never really thought about before um so Send us who you think Anakin's master should have been, <laughs> not named Obi-Wan, and has to be female, right? Who would Anakin's running mate be? <laughs> I think Qui-Gon would have been different, because Qui-Gon, I think, knew what where Anakin was coming from and would have been more of a father than a master, I think. So he would have really filled that void, something that perhaps Obi-Wan was too young to do. And yeah, I'm putting Ayla forward, being a, a, a Twi'lek. Uh, she probably knows of her own people's plights and perils in the galaxy and what they're always, the dancers, etc. Um, so she might know how to really be compassionate with Anakin coming from the you know, slavery background, etc. Right. Just, yeah, something to think about. Yeah. She's got my vote. Patrick, Se- you got something you want to add? Secure Skywalker 2020. <laughs> yes. I'd vote. Time here. I will vote right now. Right now. <laughs> Changing pace just a bit, we head over into Chapter 10. Uh, we The chapter is titled Masters, and we get to see Yoda's serene home uh, that Obi-Wan remembers kind of being in as a child. Everything in there just flows, peace and calm. We get... Mace, who in the midst of the in this conversation and the trial that he struggles with, he just wants to act now. And that means he wants to chop the head off if he can of whoever's in his way. He wants to find the Sith Lord. He wants to end him and get it over with. 
Yoda is agitated. And for little green dude, that just makes me so sad because he's so cool and calm and collected. And the fact that he is agitated, you know, he mentions that arrogance is what's kept them blind. And that's ultimately Yoda's downfall. I think his character trait is that arrogance. And there's this really funny kind of scene where Mace and Yoda are like, they're two separate sides of the coin. And Obi-Wan is that ridgeline that tries to negotiate and tries to bring them together. And they're both agitated that Obi-Wan called this whole meeting between the three of them just to negotiate a peace and a ceasefire, right? He mentions this quote from Qui-Gon, which we had heard in the first section too, that until the possible becomes actual, it is only a distraction. Mm. And I absolutely loved that quote. Um, And we get Yoda who has always been frustrated with Anakin. He's never liked the idea of Obi-Wan training him. You know, we got that at the end of episode one and I kind of want to talk about Yoda a little bit because I don't feel like he gets, he gets, he gets a lot of love. Let's be honest. But you know, so far in this section, we haven't seen him too much. Adam, how do you think Yoda Yoda fits in at this point? You know, we've talked a little bit about his arrogance. Uh, What are your thoughts on, on Yoda here? Yeah, it's really surprising with how he feels with Anakin. I understand that the rules of the Jedi Order, Anakin is too old, blah, blah, blah. But we see that Yoda is just, he's really good with the younglings, especially in Attack of the Clones. We see that he can deal with the younger generation. He can deal with them very well. He just doesn't seem to have the room to deal with Anakin. And he doesn't have the room. And if we go off the Phantom Menace, he doesn't want to deal with Anakin even from when he was nine years old. So you can really understand yep. Anakin's frustrations there. I, I picture Anakin growing up in the Jedi Temple, the jealous boy. He just wants Yoda to give him attention as Yoda gives all the other kids attention. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, great picture. Because <laughs> I think we, we, we see, we saw Yoda first in the OT and then we saw, and you know, this, this master who passed and you know, he's just so serene and everyone loves him. And then I think the prequels was, like a bit of a wake-up call. Because um, if the Jedi Council is flawed, some of that get, must get laid at the Grand Master's feet. But surely the Grand Master can point them in the correct direction. So, yeah. He, he should be able to move those pieces as he wishes and exactly. get, get, get the way that he wants. Yeah. Speaking of someone who gets exactly what he wants, let's talk about Palpatine for a minute, um, who wants to, if a Sith Lord were to walk into his office, he'd want to sit down and have a beer with him. Uh, Patrick, what did you think about this whole setup and scene, you know, where Palpatine's talking with Anakin and, uh, you know, the hunt for the Sith master and Palpatine's like, I, I'd want him to, to figure out how to end this war. Right. Uh, what, what'd you think about all this? I thought, uh, the whole time Sidious is just talking about himself in like a little mm-hmm. sly banter. Like he's throwing out code that he knows no one's picking out on. He's like, Oh, I want to have a drink with him. A.K.A. I will be drinking with myself later this evening. I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation. And yeah, just the Palpatine at the end of the day is just like, I'd have a beer with me. Yeah, <laughs> um, why, why wouldn't anybody else? <laughs> yeah, he does. He just says, I think he's here and he runs out and he comes back in with like a big the black Sith coat. <laughs> <laughs> it was me the whole time. His cities get up in a six pack of beers. I'll just I'll I'll just go I'll just wait outside while Palpatine's out there and then Palpatine comes back in. Sitcom waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Remember the little Pixar short from back in the day with the um, old man playing um, chess with himself? Mm. <laughs> That's going to be him drinking two beers by himself. He's just going to have one mug filled up on one side and the other on the other and just go back and forth on the side of the table. <laughs> He's going to have his Sidious persona on one side and his Chancellor persona yeah. on the other. In the background, Anakin yep. is playing on the playground. We we get the the weird kind of creepy reference too, right? Um, Palpatine refers to Anakin as my boy often, which immediately threw me more recently to the sequel trilogy with Snoke talking to to Ben uh, Kylo as my boy, and then we learned that it was you know Sidious talking to him the whole time, this kind of fatherly, grandfatherly mentor ish kind of relationship, it's super creepy, but. You know, for Anakin, as we talked about, who didn't really have a father figure and who has only had strong women in his life, this is the first person who is a male figure who has trusted him and has, you know, given him some kind of confidence and some some affirmation, I guess. From that point, you know, Palpatine really throws out, you know, working behind the scenes that he wants to give Anakin everything that Anakin wants. He has the power to do what he wants. He makes mention to An- to Anakin that, you know, as you've seen, I kind of have my way around here. I can do whatever I want to. And he's going to try to put Anakin in a position to become master, which doesn't end up happening. But kind of from that point, something we don't get in the movie that we do get spelled out here in the book quite a bit is the idea of well two different things really the first being that the jedi council talks a lot about that the prophecy could be misread you know anakin might not be the chosen one there's a lot of doubt there and i think some of that doubt has been made by the dark side just being so present in their vicinity but also anakin wants to know about these prophet the, the prophetic dreams that he's having these nightmares And he's trying to get into the temple archives with master's only clearance to get there. And it gives some added context, um, knowing that George Lucas too was pretty instrumental in the writing of this book. You know, he provided a lot of notes to Matthew Stover, you know, the things that are in it, George wanted in it, the things that are not in it, George didn't want in it. I thought it was really interesting. And I think it puts a whole new spin on Anakin wanted to be a master so he could figure out how to save Padme not because he was zealous of trying to be a master and he was so angry because he is so powerful and he should have gotten it anyways it almost kind of makes it seem a little bit more wholesome to me that he wanted this he wanted the rank to do the help right Adam did did you catch that as well um do you have anything you want to add there yeah I did yeah it was I think it started out as wholesome and then we see what we maybe perceive as arrogance, but I think the anger and annoyance probably stemmed from just what do I need to do to get the ability to check this information? Because imagine yeah. being this nine-year-old boy pulled away from his mother, being told that you are the chosen one to this all-encompassing force. You're going to bring balance to the galaxy, <laughs> not just his own, not a, not his town, his his country, his planet, like literally the whole galaxy can imagine all he wants to do is just see it for himself. Keeps getting told that he's the chosen one. He keeps getting all these skeptics. The council don't like him. Yoda doesn't like him. I can imagine it's just becoming a little bit too much. He's like, you know what? I need to find out myself. Yeah. At this point, the Mortis arc has been removed from his memory. He doesn't know what's going on. 
So he had that information, then it was stripped from him. I can I can understand his anger and annoyance of that one. Sure. Patrick, do you have anything you want to add to that strike you at all? Yeah, and the part that got me was mostly how the Jedi didn't think it was read properly or understood properly. But at the same time, were they thinking I was thought were they thinking of the prophecy as in terms to them being purely balanced? And putting them in the order is above the force itself, mm-hmm. which would have, in that way, they would have skewed the actual interpretation and what was to be done by said children. One, that was always my thoughts about that. Yeah, I do have to to cross uh, universes a bit. I, whenever Anakin is trying to get into this prophecy room. I have to think of Harry Potter. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I think of Anakin just running through shelves and shelves of little jars full of prophecies, <laughs> trying to figure out which one relates to him and and then which one is going to help him save Padme. Um, you know, and then all of these, you know, Death Eaters are going to show up and Palpatine's going to be there. And it's just so what you're saying, I have Arthur Weasley's guarding the door to the jedi master archives <laughs> yes yes <laughs> sitting on a sure. chair there <laughs> <laughs> yep the end though anakin doesn't end up getting the rank of master he is put on the jedi council and obi-wan talks about how anakin just he just won't obey right he's a hundred percent honest he wears his emotions like a hollow net banner obi-wan says and that's a good quality to have Right. Like to be brutally honest, I would think, you know, to to not have to lie. Anakin doesn't want to. Um, But the Jedi Council puts him in this place where he's going to have to spill and he's going to have to rat out his friend, the chancellor, and he's going to have to do all of this. And Anakin's obviously just pissed. Right. Like he, he finds out he's not man. He's not going to be granted the rank of master. And then just what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and it's unfair. You know, at, yeah. And Adam, you talked about, you know, the council chamber, you know, being full of this conflicting energy. Obviously, when Anakin walks in the room, it doesn't get any better because he is a ball of conflicting energy. But, you know, what was it? Anakin not getting the answer that he wants and being that brutally honest, you know, where's the line of, of where that could go wrong? You know, what is is it? Is it the way that someone else is going to respond to you that makes it? an incorrect thing i don't know are you picking up where i'm trying to go with this adam i think so it's it's what is the line between holding back to spare feelings or to not create confrontation versus 100 percent brutal honesty all the time where do you Mm -hmm. draw the line between really not creating a problem with your honesty and just being honest i think is that perhaps where we're trying to go yeah Um, yeah and and where what could anakin have done better maybe i don't know i think it's just his core values are just not completely different but they are different to the jedi council and it's just one of those things that you know that even just in our real lives if you're working for a company and your values are different to their values you know it you see it you feel it and you either uh, do I want to stay here or do I want to take the gamble and go somewhere where I my values are the same? Like, and I think that's what I, that's what that's what's happening in this scene is just Anakin is just different. There's no two ways about it, and they feel it and he feels it, 
That's that's what I think. Yeah. We do get, you know, Mace, uh, as we talked a little bit earlier on, Mace talking about how darkness is just natural, naturally a part of us. And one of the things that he reveals is that really we don't actually know what it means to bring balance to the force. You know, Anakin might be justified in the way that he feels, you know, leading into this. The Order doesn't even know what it's actually trying to do, um, especially in the midst of these dark times. Um, he says, you know, we're in a spice mine without a glow rod, but we really have no choice but to keep on moving, um, trying to find the light. Adam, what did you think of that? Yeah, I think from memory, George Lucas always said that bringing balance was the light side of the force. I could be wrong. Someone, please correct me in Discord after you, if you're listening now or listening in the future. Um, yeah. But I also think, is the Jedi the personification of light at this point? Have they... Could they be called light and, and the Sith be called dark? Yes, on the Sith side, but I think the Jedi have just kind of skewed a little bit. So when I think balance, uh, it's, it's hard to bring them into the equation because they're just not who they're meant to be at this point in the timeline. They've just gone well beyond what their mandate is. So I can understand yeah. that they're probably looking into the Force and they're just completely confused as to what, where they sit in the prophecy, I think. I, I think back to an episode um, where Obi-Wan finally finds out that Maul isn't actually dead to begin with. Um, I think it's somewhere around season three or season four. And Maul makes this this comment. Um, Obi-Wan gets kind of frustrated um, and gets thrown off of his game. And he, he literally trips. He literally loses his balance. And Maul says, yes, your anger has made you unbalanced. And I think that that's a good point, you know, that I obviously be the light side of the force, you know, acknowledging the dark that exists, but being truthful to yourself within a, a spirit of hosp- hospitality of, of being hospitable to others and being genuinely nice, I guess being calm matters more in the grand scheme of things. But I, I don't know. I thought that was, that was really interesting that Mace kind of, kind of brought that up. The order is off their game. They are very much unbalanced because of the darkness within that they keep feeding around them. Yeah. And darkness was first light came second. So right. That's yep. primordial. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Somebody, very much a, a natural thing. Patrick, somebody had to say, let there be light. Mm. <laughs> yep. And then we move to, you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda talking about how they would sacrifice each other for the greater good, you know, to end this war. But Anakin wouldn't. Anakin very much values the things that he values and he's going to save the things that he wants to save. He's not just going to sit back and take orders. He's going to do the things that he thinks is right, which is always going to be, you know, I might think something is right. But Patrick, you know, you may think something else is right and they're going to be in, in conflict with each other. And that's really, really tricky to do. But Obi-Wan knows that, you know, I think I would save Anakin instead of sacrifice him. I might sacrifice Yoda, but I'm going to save Anakin. Um, I thought that was an interesting point for him to reveal about himself. You know, a, a, a Jedi flaw, I guess, in his character, if you will, from that particular perspective, because he does have attachments. They might look different to others, but they have them. And then this whole section ends really with the beginning conversations of the rebellion being formed, right? We get Bale talking to Mon Mothma. We get um, a couple of other senators being brought in. Padme is being brought into the conversation. 
Patrick, what did you think about the formation of, of this group, this rebellion being formed um, just in an, in an office? Oh, it makes me think back one to the deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith, where they're having the, um, what do they call it? The delegation of 2000. I can't remember what the, um, what they call mm. it in the um, deleted scene, but that's what it always makes me think back to when they're all in the round table and they're starting to go steps too far and we need to stop him. And like you said earlier, it really made me think back on how Padme is the beginning of all this in a lot of ways. Like when it comes to the original trilogy, she's the beginning of the rebellion in a lot of ways. And when it comes to the story of the prequel trilogy, she is in the forefront. A lot of this starts with events around her. Yeah. Adam, you have anything you want to add there? Yeah, it would be very interesting to see Padme survive and if Anakin would have still gone down the dark side route and if he did I just don't see Padme exactly allowing him to do that or if he'd still forced the issue she would not stick around and we'd have a Padme v Anakin galaxy going on and I found it like really <laughs> yeah. interested really interesting where we were reading I think Queen's Shadow where Padme's trying to get involved with Bale's inner circle and, and Mothma. And then at the end, Moth, uh, my Mothma's at the end of this chunk of chapters, she's still hesitant really with Padme because of the her closeness with, with Palpatine and there's Bale, the Lord and Saviour, really arguing on, on her case. So I read that and, and immediately thought of Queen's Shadow and Padme and Bale's burgeon, uh, burgeoning relationship as well. And 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 how that then came here and yeah mon mothma's kind of reservation towards padme is very reminiscent of how the jedi council feels hesitant towards anakin being granted master because of the relationship with the chancellor you know they're very much the same thing their their relationship is so tied together and just quickly reading chat as well we've we've had some jedi masters pop in yaddle's getting thrown yeah a few times um, and, Je- and Jedi Faze <laughs> come in with a great idea, Plo Koon. Mm, Plo Koon being Anakin's master, huh? Yeah. That that would be a really interesting dynamic to see, uh, considering, you know, he's the one that found Ahsoka too. Yes. Uh, it'd be, he's much more that calm presence. And when I think when you think Jedi compassion, I think Plo Koon yeah. really is, is the face that you see. Yeah, that's a that's a really good really good thought. Well done, well done, chat guys. Uh, one last question. You know, what is what was your favorite part, um, Adam? Let's start with you. What was your favorite part or character in this? You know, five chapters that we've read. Anybody stick out to you? This may come as a bit of a surprise to everyone listening, but Anakin, <laughs> uh, and probably the part that really stuck out to me was both Obi-Wan talking about Anakin's values and how he is 100% brutally honest. Uh, Sometimes I could probably be a little bit guilty of that, but also just how he reacted at the end of this chapter block where he finally thought that he was going to get the ability to learn about who he is, learn about what he's meant to be, possibly save the woman that he loves and then just have it all taken away from him. He got it, but he didn't get it. And I can, he can, he even like the monologue at the end of that section where he knows that that's what's just happened, and his fear 
is just starting to encroach on him. And I think at that point, that's where the Jedi Council 100% lost him. Like, if there was an exit, he was always... If if there was an exit, someone could always then push him through that exit, and that's what Palpatine did at the end. I think that's where they... The last connection was kind of broken between the two. I think it's a great point. Patrick, how about you? Favorite part? Favorite character? I'm going with Adam on this. Anakin was always my favorite character in this section. Just because of the depth that we get on his emotions, and especially in these moments that we see in the movie, we get so much backstory on, and so much, like, especially when he's reunited with Padme after the, um, the crash landing, we get so much more back thoughts, and so much more that worry that she's not there with the rest of the mm-hmm. senators, and that, that fear just keeps coming back, and he's such an amazing character. Especially in the novelization, yeah, I know some people had a hard time with them in the um, actual films, but everywhere else, especially in the novelization, he's such an amazing character, and you can't help but not just love him. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball. I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna choose Obi Wan here. I think getting to see, don't shake your head at me, Adam. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm shout, shouting out my boy Obi-Wan uh, because, you know, he is someone who is described as having the wisdom of Yoda and the power of Mace Windu in this section. And at the same time, we see at the end that he is very much, very much a little bit of Anakin as well. You know, he's got the the doubt and the attachments and that that a character who is seen as kind of a little bit overpowered in every possible category, you know, like if, if Obi-Wan was a Madden quarterback, you know, he's 99 in literally everything. <laughs> um, grace under fire, throwing accuracy, you know, um, I, all of that is there. You know, I think that to still get some weakness from him um, and have a little bit of that doubt be revealed from, you know, his relationship with Anakin and, and the way that Anakin is rubbed off on him you know, that the order might not be as right as they think they are. And I think Obi-Wan's the one that is really able to see through that and um, kind of maintain everything, you know. And I think the way that we get him, you know, going into the original trilogy and the ways that we see him a little bit, teased, you know, in Rebels, and he really grows a lot. And I think in this particular section, we see a little bit of that growth. You know, uh, Yoda has that conversation with him about, you know, calling out your fear, naming your fear. You won't be able to overcome it until you name it. And I think that um, I think that really stood out to me a lot. So Obi-Wan for me. So I'm, I'm two to one on this, but uh, I won't hold I won't hold that against you guys. So I think that's a good place to end it right here. Thank you to everyone in our chat for participating in the Conjure Book Club. We'll be back next week to talk through Revenge of the Sith, chapters 12 through 16. In the meantime, please keep the conversation going in the Discord community. If you are not on Discord and you're listening to this on Patreon, please feel free to contact us through Patreon to get and we'll get y'all set up. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at utini underscore US for updates on all things Star Wars EU. And don't forget to tune in to the Living Force Podcast live every Monday night at 7 p.m. over at twitch.tv forward slash utini underscore US. And keep an eye on your Patreon feeds for exciting updates and upcoming episodes of Legends Look Back, Light Speed Skipping, The Ghost Crew, which is now at our $5 Guardian of the Wheels tier. 
You can find Timothy on Twitter and Discord at theycallmet13. Adam is at darkstarau. And Patrick is on Discord at mac11. If you want to jump into the book club and help support the show, look up this book on utini.com. Click the Amazon link on the profile and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. We'll put a link for this week's book as well, um, as well as September's book, which is going to be Bloodline by Claudia Gray. And we'll put those in the show notes in your podcast player. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash utini or pick up some sweet new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell, Alec Householder, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And last but certainly not least, thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. You guys are the absolute best. May the force be with you, everyone. <laughs>